Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com slash shift. My guest today is Phyllis Amon. Phyllis is the ambassador of aging life management and founder of the Mindful Longevity Revolution. She's a two-time best-selling author, speaker, and trainer for the public and private sector, a speech and language pathologist, certified dementia practitioner, trainer, manager, who's been dedicated to improving the quality of life and the quality of care for thousands of residents and families in over 50 skilled nursing facilities in which she's worked. Her big vision endeavor is a feature film based on the books In the Arms of Elders and The Tribes of Eden, which are about elder wisdom, wise leadership, the importance of intergenerational relationships and community. Phyllis Simon and I discuss the power of a dream and self-belief to make it come true. Phyllis is an action taker and she shares how she is making her dream happen even when she has no idea what she's doing. It is a great conversation about belief and the power of action, putting her dream out there and watching the universe make connections for her next steps. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on the show and just looking forward to a, a great conversation. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was uh we met just a short time ago. It was a thrilling conversation. So I'm so glad we went from that to this. This is great. All right. All right. So obviously your entrepreneurial journey is more like a project and, and a thing that, that you're you're working on. Um, but you also uh, specialize in, in elder care and, and have some teachings in elder care. And I definitely want to make sure we share, share some of that. So um, I'll let you tell us what are you working on and and what are you doing and and why is that your your passion project? Okay, so well, I'll start with the passion project, which is uh, for someone who's who really hasn't come from the film industry space may sound a little crazy, right? Um, but talk about big vision. It's a big vision goal. So when I started, so professionally, I've worked as a speech and language pathologist in over 50 nursing homes. And I've always been an advocate about how we're caring for older adults and treating them and valuing them, which we really are not uh, in a great way as a society. Uh, we do maybe in our individual families, but not really as a society, right? And um, so several years ago, I stepped out of that space. I started writing books. My, my goal was to really inform the public and develop some kind of grassroots advocacy so people would say like I'm mad as hell and I I can't I won't take it anymore like from network right mm -hmm. um so you know time went on COVID happened and um a couple of years ago I read this book uh entitled in the arms of elders written by Dr. Bill Thomas who was a personal and professional hero of mine ever since I read his first book 
where he really transformed the entire nursing home industry or his, his idea was to transform the industry and how we care and treat older people. And I finished this book and said, this is a feature film. And it went really with my goal about inspiring a national dialogue about how we value care and treat older adults in our society. And I didn't know him then, but uh, since that time, I got to meet him. He wrote the foreword for my last book. We've become friends. And over time, I started talking to him about this film. And he did think it was a pretty wacko idea, being that <laughs> I didn't come from his face. And, um, and then he had me read the sequel to the book, which is called Tribes of Eden, which is even more powerful and really kind of very much the story about our times. It's kind of was kind of a little eerie to me. It was like reading um, 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 George Orwell's uh, 1994, right? Uh, no, what was it? It yep. was, uh, yeah, right? And, um, and kind of seeing some of that come to fruition. Well, well, this book, Tribes of Eden, kind of talks about a times that are reminiscent of what we've gone through with COVID, though it's not about a pandemic. Anyway, um, so I had the opportunity to connect with a, a phenomenal guy named Greg Reed, who has this event called Secret Knock. I didn't even know what it was. But uh, last year we started texting. I had watched some LinkedIn Lives and um, I finally contacted him the day of the event and was able to go. And one of the reasons was that he produced the movie Wishman, which was the story of Frank Shankowitz, the founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And at that event, I met the screenwriter who wrote the screenplay for Make uh, The Wishman. And I met some other people. And so I started really talking about this film. And uh, all of a sudden, this big vision didn't seem so far-fetched. And now I'm at the point of, um, I have two Hollywood producers potentially interested in the film. And one is a screenwriter who is willing to write the screenplay, which is pretty cool. And so I'm actually, right before we got on, I'm finishing putting together my uh, a crowdfunding page because I'm raising funds to have the screenplay written. And I really believe this is going to come to fruition. And it's going to be a story about elder wisdom and wise leadership and the importance of intergenerational relationships and community. Everything that we've really come to know during these past two years of the pandemic. Hmm. So good. So that's my big vision story. Well, and, and I mean, there's so much value in that, right? First of all, you you saw a vision for, you know, reading the book and said, this needs to be a film. And right. rather than just sitting on your laurels, right? you took it upon yourself to say, I'm going to make this happen. I am going to make, I really, it's, I keep saying that to myself every day. I am going to make this happen because I believe it's important. Um, it's not about me. My it's my name's not going to be on the film, right? It's about the subject matter. And that is everything that has been my journey my entire life, working with older adults, right? And and how we care for or value them or don't value them, which is the problem, the issue. Mm. So good. Yeah. 
Well, I, I love that not only have you took action and started making it happen, that by taking action, you're attracting to yourself the, the people that you need to bring it to fruition. Right, exactly. And so it's all about that, right? It's about, and it's about taking uncomfortable action. I mean, isn't that, Tony Robbins always says that, right? It's about taking uncomfortable action. And, and that's really true because uh, if you don't step out of your comfort zone, the, the only thing you're going to get is your comfort zone, right? <laughs> Which is more of the same. Right. And it might, your comfort zone might be great, but if you have a bigger vision, then you have to step outside of that. You have to take uncomfortable action. It's not easy. It's really not an easy thing to do. And also when you step out of something that you've always been doing, sometimes there's backlash. There's, you know, the people that you, I've had to part ways with many people that I've had relationships with for 20 odd years as a professional because clearly I'm going in a direction that's not so comfortable for them, really talking about all of this and speaking out about this. Um, people sometimes prefer to remain in their safe space. Mm, that's so important. Well, and recognizing that it's okay to let go of those relationships if they don't understand where you're going or they're not, they're not comfortable going where you're going. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I mean, you need you need people around you that believe in you. You need people around you that that believe that, OK, it's a crazy idea, but it's awesome. And let's do it. Right. It's OK to call it a crazy idea, right. but it's not OK to say that's a crazy idea. You should never do that. Right? Correct. Listen, there's enough, of that, there's enough of that going on. Right. So look, aren't we on the brink of. um are, are living with many ideas that were thought to be crazy, right? And uh, I mean, it got us the, uh, you know, the, the iPhone, it got us the personal computer, it got us, um, you know, electric cars, it got us going into space. I mean, how many people thought that was like ridiculous? Like, well, it, you know, and funny because everybody talked about the Jetsons, right? And the, the flying car was the thing that we thought would happen in the Jetsons. But if you look at 2021, and, and you recognize all of the things that have happened. Um, we're, we've got food being delivered to our front door. Right. We've got kids in school on screens, right? So right. Sitting, at, sitting at his desk at home, using a computer to communicate with his teacher at the school, um, just like Elroy was doing. Right. We've got, we've got uh, you know, electronic vacuum machines that are automatically vacuuming the floor. Right. Um, Mom, uh, dad's working from home on his computer, you know, so he's going straight from his living room, kitchen to his office space and, and working on his computer. And, and so all of these things that, that happened on the Jetsons, other than the flying car, have really come to pass. No, it's funny you mentioned the Jetsons because not that many people have that reference. And I'm thinking even that she... Um... I could even see it. She used to punch in her order and uh, for the food and it gets delivered. Aren't we doing that now too? You pick up your phone and you, um, you know, you order whatever it is. The next thing you know, it's at your front door a little while later. So it is, I mean, all of these ideas have been, um, listen, I remember when Amazon started selling books and I thought, now, that's a crazy idea because what's going to happen to Barnes and Noble and all these other bookstores? But look what's happened. He clearly had a vision. 
And, absolutely. And interestingly enough, I heard not too long ago that Warren Buffett, he wanted Warren Buffett to invest in Amazon and Warren Buffett said he didn't see it. I, I heard him say this on an interview re recently. He just didn't see it. And yeah. so one person has a vision and as great as another person is, they may not have that same vision. So I really see this thing. As a matter of fact, I even taking it one step further, I finally told, uh, so the author, Bill Thomas is, now he's Bill. And the beginning it was, oh my God, it's Bill Thomas. Now it's just Bill. And I told him recently that, listen, I really see this as like a musical on a stage and I could hear the song. And I'm sure he thought it was even more crazy, but I think he's starting to see like, Maybe I can make some of this happen because I just recently in the past few months was introduced to a, uh, a Tony nominated Broadway musical producer. Like what's the likelihood that that would have happened? Right. <laughs> I just, it's, it's so fantastic that all of these things are manifesting because of your vision and, and just holding tight to that vision and, and allowing it to create the opportunities that, that are obviously being drawn to you. Right. And I, I think that, that that's what's important for entrepreneurs, right? Because mm -hmm. no matter what your, what your vision is, and it doesn't have to be a big vision like that. It could just be a passion that you have, something that you want to pursue, right? That, that if you're steadfast and you continue moving in that direction, one step at a time, things will come to you. It doesn't say there won't be challenges or hurdles to overcome, right? because there always are, you know, we look at, um, I'll never forget when my uh, son was about, um, maybe it was about eight or nine. He's 37 now. <laughs> and uh, we used to go to the U S open uh, the week before it started at that time it was way before nine 11. So it was open. You could, you know, see the, the players, you could be right next to them when they were practicing. It was, it was a beautiful experience, actually. We used to go for the entire week. And I'll never forget this one time, Boris Becker, uh, he was number one at the time. And there he was on the practice court. And his coach, Jan Tyriak, I, re I remember it like it was yesterday, right? You have these visions in your head. And he just kept like giving him a ball and he just kept serving them and serving them and serving them. My son said, well, why is he doing that? I mean, he's already number one. I said, well, if he doesn't keep at it, he's not going to remain number one, right? So it's the idea that you have to keep at it, right? Absolutely. You just have to keep at it. Well, and that's part of excellence, right? Those, the, once, you've, once you've attained a, a skill level, you, you have to keep practicing and keep putting it into use. You, right. you can't just, and so that, yeah, that's so, so powerful. Yeah. So, so talk, yeah, go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about developing the confidence to, to put yourself out there and just, and just follow this. Dream. Uh, that's, that's a, wow. That was a good one. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are days when you falter, right? There are days you say, what the heck am I doing? Um, <laughs> It hasn't happened yet. Why hasn't it happened? I thought things would fall into place by now. I feel like I'm so close. Uh, about two years ago, I felt like I was around the corner. Then I thought I was at the corner. Now, a few months ago, I felt like I was right at the doorstep, knocking on the door, but the door hasn't quite opened yet. But I still got from down the block to the corner, right? 
and around to the doorstep. Um, I think that a lot of that comes from the people around you. It comes from, um, I think it's, it's also, you know, reading, exposing yourself. I mean, it sounds trite to say that. I've had two business coaches. Um, when I started with the first one, I wasn't anywhere near where I am now. Uh, in terms of confidence. And when I started with the second one, I was a little better along the way, but nowhere near where I am now. Um, I think it's what you decide to do and how you decide to push yourself. And some of them might be innate, just personality. I mean, I, I've always been a person that stood up for things. So obviously standing up for things, pursuing things, you know, saying things that were uncomfortable, that weren't popular, uh, was part of my personality anyway. But those are things that you could develop, right? By Absolutely. the people that, that you surround yourself with and the situations that you're that you're in. Um, and of, of course, we all get energy from people who appreciate what we're doing and then tell us how much they appreciate it. Mm. So with each person that you experience, where you're moving forward and they say, wow, that's a great idea or wow, you're doing a great job. Every time you hear that, that bolsters your self-confidence and everybody needs that. I don't believe that anybody doesn't need that. Mm, so good. Are, are you keeping track of those in some way? Are you, are you oh. collecting them? Uh, gee, that's a great question. Uh, not really, but I probably could sit down and do it. Um, I really, I probably could, you know, it's a funny, I have a podcast also, um, and, um, called seniors straight talk. And we are talking about you coming on my podcast. Right. Absolutely. And, um, when I first started, when I first started, um, I had this, uh, I had a, a co-host. It was a radio show when I first started wow. and I had a co-host and shortly into it, she dropped out for whatever reason, doesn't matter. And the executive producer at Voice America, where I have the, the podcast, and it was a radio show at first, um, said, well, you could do this on your own. And I thought that was the craziest idea I ever heard. I thought it was ridiculous. Actually, I thought she was nuts. I was like, <laughs> can't do this. Are you crazy? And my business coach at that time was the same first business coach. He told me the same thing. And I just thought that was ridiculous. I couldn't do such a thing. And so then I... Um, I wound up uh, having a co-host, somebody that I knew, and uh, we did the show together for about a year or so. And then, then I realized, and, and she, oh, she, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. She had a uh, an executive assistant who worked with her, and that gal always told me about how I could do all of this, and I just didn't. I just never saw it. And then one day, all of a sudden, I said. I think I want to do this thing on my own. <laughs> and um, then I started and where I am now with it compared to that first episode where I did it on my own is miles apart. And I think a part of what did it for me is I've inter interviewed a lot of thought leaders like in my in the elder care space. Some people would say, well, gee, how did you get that person to agree to be on your show? I said, I don't know. I picked up the phone and called them. I, I really can't tell you, but with each person that said they enjoyed the interview or they had a good time or, and I've had people say, well, you're great at this. Each person, I think it bolsters your, your confidence. I could probably write down every single one of them. 
Yeah. I, uh, I just started collecting those and, and, and keep a folder or a, actually have a Google doc. And, and in fact, I've added, that's where I'm putting endorsements and book reviews and, and all of these, these things. Um, my podcasts typically end the very, the, the, the same way, you know, Oh, thanks. That was such a great experience. Oh, you did, you know, you did such a good right. job and, and just enjoyed the conversation. But on those days when you're down, sometimes you need a you need it. David Goggins called it the cookie jar, right? He, right. He keeps all those little notes in the jar, and and when you have that down day, you just pull one of those notes out and you just read it and say, "Oh, you did such a terrific job. That right. was so good." And you're like, "Okay." Do you remember <laughs> years ago there was a little box? It was a, a little file box. I don't know if people know what a file box is anymore. <laughs> but it was like, a little, like mom used to keep the recipes in. Right, exactly. It was a little file, file, file box. It was black, if I remember correctly. And it said on top, give yourself a hand. And when oh. you opened it, it was an audience cheering and clapping. Nice. And it was <laughs> terrific because whenever you needed that boost, you would just open it and there was this audience you know, saying bravo and clapping and saying you're terrific and cheering you. And, and we all need that sometimes. We oh, absolutely all need that. But I will say something else also, which is even on days when I'm a little down or I don't have the same energy level, um, you know, I do have this, this notion or it, it's, it's common knowledge, really, that the show must go on. So as soon as I start, it doesn't matter how I feel. You have to be able to put yourself into a different mode, a different level, right? You just have to ha develop that. And Absolutely. that thing takes practice, but I think that's also an innate uh, quality to a certain extent. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, we call it state management, right? You, you manage yeah. your state. And right. And, and you have to be able, like you said, the show must go on. And so you have to, you can change your state. And I think... I think reading those notes, right? Reading those reviews, reading those things when people praise you, having a little collection of those praises is a powerful way to, to change your state. Um, I think the simplest way is is a friend of mine uses the three B's, right? Your your body, your breathing, and your belief. And so you just stop, you jump up and down, or you do whatever, right. and you, you take a deep breath, and, and you've changed your state by moving your body, by changing your breathing. And, and just say, I believe in myself. Right. Absolutely. Because that jumping up and down. So that's, you know, that's the endorphins that you release when you have physical activity and that changes your mood, right? It changes your whole attitude. And so that's even a simple thing like sitting up straight in your chair and taking a few deep breaths and supporting your 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 back and with a strong torso will change your whole attitude. Mm, and so it's absolutely. about attitude, right? It's about absolutely. Attitude. Well, and let's uh, let's let's take it even further. Let's let's talk about your attitude as as a part of your character and, and talk about how the importance of character development in this process. Right. It's um I think the two go hand in hand, but um but I would say there are people who do have difficulty with that because of their attitude state, right? And um, and you have to be willing to change that. 
And I've been experiencing that recently with someone and it's not an easy thing, but that has to come from within them. Right. So I, um, I, I'm um, developing this program and I was coming, trying to come up with a name for it. And one of the names I came up with um, was to use the word vibrant. And I always described myself as someone who was vibrant and, um, I don't know, active and vibrant and, you know, had a passion for life and upbeat and all that thing. So the person that I was communicating with was saying, well, not everybody feels vibrant or has a feels that about their life. And I said, well, you know, that's that's something to to be attained or to work towards. And they were saying that, well, not everybody wants that as a goal. And I was thinking about that very thing when you asked that question. So why would that be? Um, why wouldn't you want to live vibrantly? Why wouldn't you want to change your state? Because with vibrancy comes um, positivity. It comes, uh, you know, a different outlook. And, um, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, right? Absolutely. Well, the the, the sad thing is, you mentioned it earlier. There's a bunch of people that are stuck in their comfort zone and their comfort zone happens to be miserable right. and they they're a victim and they complain about it all the time, but that's where they want to stay because <laughs> right. they don't want to take hundred percent responsibility for their state. They don't want to take hundred percent responsibility for their attitude. They'd much rather blame somebody else. Correct. So it's interesting that you say that because this kind of ties into this whole elder care space that I'm in. Mm. So I was doing a, um, I was doing my podcast with uh, Dr. Bill Thomas a few weeks ago. And he had a way of saying it that I just, he, well, he, he's a visionary and he always kind of has a different way of expressing things. It doesn't matter who talks to him. Everybody says the same thing. He always has a different spin on it or a different way of looking at it. And so what he said was, that if you aren't taking action, and we, and we were talking about living healthily and aging and all of that, that if let's if you want to be doing something 15 years from now, let's say 15 years from now you want to be, you know, still hiking or biking or I don't know playing tennis or whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to do, sailing, right? If you're not doing it now, you're not going to be doing it 15 years from now, which is correct, right? right. Especially if you want to do it with, you know, a strong body and, and a strong mind. So he was saying that um, if, if you tend to, <laughs> I thought it was great. I have to say it the way he said it, if I can, that, that it essentially then you're surrendering, right? And you're letting whatever happened happen to you instead of really becoming, you know, embracing it and having it, you know, you take an active part in the process. And so therefore he was saying that um, if you procrastinate and you tend towards procrastination and you're still procrastinating, then procrastination is your friend and you are on the right path, my friend. I, I just, it was really, it sounded funny, but when you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense. Right? Well, absolutely. And there's plenty of people that, that are choosing that, that path, that path. And, life, right. and life is happening to them 
rather than someone like yourself and you've you've proven the power of life is happening for you and and the world is conspiring for your good and for your plan and for your vision to come to, to come to fruition right and so and that comes with you know having the mindset of not surrendering taking action right and taking uncomfortable action or and and listen i i've said this many times many people read a book and if they're not in that space they say wow that's a great book and they put it down and that's the end of it right yeah. um but it's not just about the book it's the uh, and and the film it's about this idea about inspiring this national dialogue about how we care for and treat older adults so i you know, I started out with a podcast and now I have this idea for a television show and it's the it's the film. And, um, you know, it, it it's all stepping out of a zone that I was never in. I mean, I worked in nursing homes like who, who would have ever thought. Right. Absolutely. But as I said to some friends last night, you never know. Either it's a, a field of study that you have or an experience that you have and how that will translate into something that can really make a huge difference. So uh, these people I was with last night were saying their son just graduated from college and his major, I think, is IT, but he has a minor in the classics. And so I was saying you just never know because look at Steve Jobs who studied calligraphy and it was really calligraphy that got him to really see the beauty and the streamline of design that led to, you know, the Apple computer and the phone and, and the whole presentation of everything. So you just never know what that basis is that leads you to something else. Mm, if you allow yourself to be open to your ideas and to the creativity that of where it leads you. That's so good. Well, I love tapping into the, the creativity and, and, and really it's just never take any part of your, path for granted right you never right. know what what little pieces in your in your journey are coming together to to combine with your your passion to really you know impact your purpose for the world absolutely and you know whoever would have thought that this was really my purpose um <laughs> who you know i never thought of it that way i knew i i thought i knew what my purpose was 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 working in all these individual nursing homes and trying to do the best I could and care for people in the best way I could and elevate their quality of life and improve whatever aspect of, you know, care that they needed that was within my uh, scope of practice. But, you know, I never really dreamed that I would go in this direction. And now I've written three books. I'm working on a fourth. And talking about big visions, um, and and being open to people right so i was in an event um in december i met a young gal and uh we talked you know the first night that we met and then uh the last day of the event she happened to be passing by where i was sitting and she handed me a book and uh, in this book she has a chapter and there were many many um, um high profile people in this book and I wondered, gee, how she got in this book with all these high profile people. So we were in touch and I asked her how she did that. And uh, because it was very interesting to me, one of the people who was in this book is somebody whose name I had heard mentioned several times and I wanted to meet. So that was kind of peculiar, right? That was how to talk about things conspiring and coming together. 
And so um, she introduced me to this, uh, this person who put the book together and I had a conversation with him. So now I am in the next book and the book is about big visions. So mm -hmm. it just talk about synchronicity and it coming together at the right time because certainly, you know, my idea is a very big vision idea. Absolutely. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com, addvalue2life.com forward slash shift. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So Napoleon Hill talks about it being, uh, you know, you need a, a burning desire, right? And Think and Grow Rich, he teaches about the burning desire. And so how did your, how do you keep your vision as, as a burning desire? Mm, that's a great question. Huh. That's that. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think you just, I, I think it's, you just have to know that or believe that that's your purpose and your passion and, and the reason for it. You know, I tell people, um, you know, it's not about me. It's, it, you know, it, it's really not about me. Um, it's about what I want to bring to the world, or what, you know, the change that I want to make. And I think as long as you hold true to that and realize that it's not about you, right? Um, and take, kind of take yourself out of it. You may be the vehicle, but kind of take yourself out of it um, and just concentrate on what that vision is, what that goal is, what that purpose is. I think that's the driving force. Mm. Um, it's a good question though. I hadn't thought about that. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about being a voice um, for elder care and and obviously you you're concerned about caring for the caregivers as well and so we could talk about self-care in there right. as well as as well as you know what what is your passion for for elder care how how do you want to see this our current system change Oy. So it's interesting that you asked that question because just today uh, somebody was tweeting something. Uh, somebody I know, um, he's a, a geriatrician. He's become very popular in the past couple of years and he's been on major media because since the pandemic, he's just been tweeting about all of this stuff like crazy. Um, well, there, there are two ways of thinking about it really. Um, I was always an idealist and thought that well, you know, the system can change, you know, um, systems do change, right? Um, it takes a lot, though. It takes a lot. So um, I'm several years into it. Do I think the present system can really change? Not quite sure. Um, I'm really not quite sure because, you know, I still work in nursing homes from time to time, and I really see the same patterns over and over and over again. And when I do come with fresh ideas, which I know are fresh ideas to these people because they're not doing any of these things, some of them don't cost any money, um, they're not interested. They, they kind of have this, this um, you know, kind of this, this blueprint, and they're kind of following this blueprint. 
um, how I think a winner will change. So I was uh, tweeting this back and forth and there are people who, who responded to my tweet, right? I think that if people start to make different choices rather than going into nursing homes and it affects people's bottom line because mm -hmm. there'll be empty beds, maybe that could be a motivating force for them to change. Um, it, but it's a mindset issue. So I always say that um, it's unfortunate for these people. They've decided to go into the taking care of people business, but they're, they're not really taking care of people, right? And I didn't say it shouldn't be a financial business or it shouldn't be a, you know, a, a money-making business. I, that's a separate conversation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that integral to the business should be really taking care of people, right? And you can do that in the very right way and still make money, I believe. But there are many different um, ways of, of caring for people. So Bill Thomas, he created something called the Eden Alternative and the Greenhouse Project. And there are greenhouse homes around the country that are really providing a quality of life and quality of care, very different than the traditional nursing homes that we know. And, and now he's creating communities where people can live together from different backgrounds, different generations. The importance of intergenerational um, pro, you know, relationships is so important um, for both generations, right? The older generation um, surrounded by younger people, learning from younger people, and then the younger people understanding the wisdom that comes with a, a life that's long lived. So I'll tell you one of my other big vision goals. Um, so um, for years, people talked about our future selves. And I thought that was that made sense, right? We were thinking about our future selves. And then about last year sometime, it dawned on me that, you know, that's really far too distant in the future for a lot of people, even for me. I just turned 69 a couple of weeks ago. And I can't think of like being 90. I mean, that's like down the road, right? That's like 21 years from now. Who can think 21 years from now, right? Um, so I, I came up with this idea that we're really all evolving elders. And if we could get young people to embrace the fact that they're evolving elders, you know, young people, I have a granddaughter, she's eight. She can't, I remember when she was six, she couldn't wait to be an adult. You know, she's eight, she can't wait to be 13, right? Um, so we look towards getting to the next level. Um, at a certain point. And then when it's like 60, you're not really looking forward to 70, <laughs> 70, you're not really looking forward to 80. But if we, from the time we're young, can think of ourselves as an evolving elder, a, a process that's active, that lives inside of us, it's something to be attained and achieved. And then maybe we can start to value older adults in our society. So my goal really is to really find a way to get this into our school systems or into our conversations so that that younger people will think of themselves as an evolving elder and be proud of that and, and want to get to that point so mm. that they can share their wisdom with the next generation. Mm. So valuable and, and so challenging. <laughs> that is a challenge. Because we live in a, a microwave culture where everything is is 30 seconds, you know, Amazon shipping is two days. We don't wait longer than two days for anything. And so, so yeah, I agree with you about future self. One of the things that 
obviously in, in entrepreneur in mindset coaching, you know, we talk about having a vision for your future and and growing into the person that you want to to become. And, right. And and it's very hard for people to you know envision something that they haven't attained yet, and hard for them to think about their future self and. So I have a question. I just want to stop you right there, if you don't mind, and ask you a question. I do this exercise with people, okay? So I ask them to close their eyes and think about their future. You could do it as an entrepreneur. You could do it not as an entrepreneur, right? But uh, either way, and um, let's say you take somebody who's 18 years of age or 20. It doesn't really matter the age. And let's say they want to think about marriage or children or or somebody who's 40 wants to think about retirement and they think about a certain place, whatever, right? Or as an entrepreneur, you're thinking about your successful business and how you'd like to envision it, right? You have, you know, post-its with your goals all over the place. You know, I want to make a million dollars by the end of the year. I'm going to make, I made a million dollars, not I'm going to, right? However, here's the question I ask people. Do you see yourself as an older person in that vision? Mm. The answer is no, in all likelihood. I know I don't. Right. Right. So we don't really see ourselves as the older person. We think of the vision, but we don't see ourselves as the the older person in that place. Well, and we almost, we act as if it's not going to happen to us. Correct, right. Right. We, we act as if we're immune. Right. We're, we're going to do all we can now because we're immune to that. And yet all we're doing now is going to lead to the consequences. Right. But so if you surrender, right, if you procrastinate and you surrender, you certainly won't be who you are now in terms of vibrancy and ability and activity level then. Well, not just not just surrender, but if you don't consider the consequences for your future self in the decisions that you're making today, right? Like, right. you know, obviously choosing choosing to run, you know, every day is a great thing, but at some point there's going to be a consequence to your knees and and, right, right. You know, and knee replacement. Obviously, nowadays knee replacement they replace knees like they change oil in cars. So, <laughs> Uh, it may not be an issue for some people, but the food that you're putting in your in your mouth, the things that you're drinking, the 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 behaviors that you're things that you're doing to this body will have consequences for your future self. And and there's a point in life where you have to ask yourself, is what I'm doing serving my future self and and the vision or plan I have for, for my future self, so, such as travel or, you know, travel, like you said. You know, I want to. I'm going to be a snowboarder. But if you're not a snowboarder now, chances are you're not going to be a snowboarder in 15 years. So you better go buy a snowboard, put on some boots, and drive up to the slopes because you need to start today. Correct. So, um, so interestingly enough, um, when you talk about what you put into the body, so I liken the body to a car. I have for many, many, many years. It's really a a highly efficiently tuned system, closed system, just like a car, right? And if you have a pinhole in a hose, you're likely going to have, um, you know, a a problem with the uh, temperature in the car, right? 
Or if you have a flat tire, the car is not going to run. Or if there's a problem, you know, if you don't have proper lubrication, there's going to be, you know, problems with the engine running smoothly, right? Or the alternator, if the alternator doesn't fire, the car won't start. Well, so worse, the, if you put if you put the wrong fuel in, correct, <laughs> your car you will you will either damage it or it won't run as efficiently. Correct. But we don't we don't think very very few people. There's more and more people coming around to that idea because our system has never taught us that food is fuel. Our system okay. has only taught us that food is entertainment and emotion and food Correct. is supposed to make you feel good. Right. So if the food's not making you feel good, you're eating the wrong stuff. Correct. So, so we need to change the idea that food is fuel and start teaching people, you have to worry about what you're putting in this machine if you want it to run the absolute best <laughs> you need to put in the high performance right. fuel Co correct so so look a car even if it's um you could be doing and most people take care of their cars right they they take it for regular maintenance most people regular maintenance checks and you know they make sure there's air in the tires they put they obviously have to put gas in the tank if the if it doesn't have any otherwise it won't run right they change the oil right um, but they don't think of that in terms of their body necessarily mm. right very few yeah. And but my mother always used to say um, about breakfast that it was the most important meal because, and she used to use that analogy. Maybe that's where I got it from. It's the first time I really thought about it that way. She used to say a car can't run on an empty tank, and mm. so that you need you need food in the morning to get your engine running right, so that that you can, you know, work properly, think properly, go to school properly, right? Um, and so. Um, Talking about self-care, so I have a um, a word that I've trademarked. The word is empathy, I-M-P-A-T-H-Y. I own the trademark for it. And it's the basis of a self-care commitment letter. And on the back end of it, I have a course. And it, the, the course goes through different aspects of self-care. But the basis of it is this self-care commitment letter. So are you going to make that commitment? Right. And once you make that commitment, so if you're committed to it, then I mean, you don't have to do everything, but at least do some things that are going to help make a positive impact, you know, keep you running in a better way, smoother, whether it's, your, you know, including your mind, including your body, including every aspect. You know, people don't realize, I'm sure you know this, that your skin is the largest organ in the body. People don't think of it as an organ. They think of the internal organs, right? But it, the skin is 90% of your body and it's the largest organ in your body. So uh, it needs hydration. People don't drink enough water. <laughs> No. Something very simple. Talking, we're talking about lubrication, right? And hydration, and your your radiator in your car needs water. Why are we not thinking that our bodies need a certain amount of water, right? Absolutely. Well, and we substitute all kinds of other things that are not not substitutes for water. Co correct. Correct. <laughs> and people think that that counts because it's liquid, but no, it's really. Um, I believe the prevailing. I'll call it formula is that you're you're supposed to drink half of your body weight in ounces of water a day. I think that's it. And and if you drink any of those drinks like coffee and tea that are diuretics, you have to drink more water. More water. Correct. <laughs> Correct. 
or drink alcohol or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, those are those are even worse. <laughs> exactly. I do notice now that um, well, now we're out of this water shortage period of time. You know, there was a time when you had to ask for a glass of water. But I notice now if I'm out someplace and I order a glass of wine, more often than not, they will automatically bring bring a glass of water to go along with it. Nice. Well, that certainly helps. All right. So how important is play and fun? Play and fun is very important. It's just as important an aspect of every as anything else, right? Uh, social connections are important. We found that with the pandemic. The mm -hmm. isolation is, a, is, by the way, loneliness and isolation is a killer. Absolutely. Liter it literally is a killer. Um, high blood pressure, depression, and, you know, a whole host of other things that go along with that. Um, but, you know, play and fun is an important ingredient as much as anything else. What do they say? All, all work and no play makes... Um, makes uh who was it uh, a dull boy who was yeah. who was a dull boy i forgot I who was a dull boy but um but the reality is that's true we, you need that you need the endorphins that come from play and fun uh something simple like laughter and smiling which is an end result of fun is important right and i'll uh, in a way that a lot of people probably don't think about but as a speech and language pathologist i think about it because it's the only way that your cheeks get exercise and get blood flow hmm. is if you're smiling or laughing nice love it and how are you going to do that with you know having fun uh, fun is important right absolutely I'll release tension absolutely so you mentioned your podcast and your books a couple of times. So what has been the impact of being an author and of hosting a podcast? Um, I think the impact of um, hosting the podcast, especially on this topic, is that I've um, I think it's 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 gotten noticed um, for the subject matter. Um Certainly, and, and by the way, one of the reasons I wanted to do it on my own when I got to a certain point was I really wanted to see or prove to myself that I could have a conversation with many different people on different levels, that I could kind of hold my own in that conversation. It really talked about giving me confidence of what I knew and what my experience was and what my points of view were. And um, that has been tremendous for me. And I think it has given me credibility in this, in my space. Um, someone just texted me today and said, I love what you're doing. So I think that's important. And I think that in, in my space, you know, a lot of people, they're in the cocoon of their own space. Yeah. And um, I myself kind of was trying to get into that space a little bit. And then I realized I don't have to be in that space because that's also a cocoon. And that's where this big vision comes into play, you know, breaking out of that. Um, so I would say that, that that's part of it. I love doing it. I think I found something I really am good at and love and enjoy that I never expected. Nice. Um, and it's taken me to other places. Like I said, I'm thinking of a television show. I don't think I would be thinking of any of these things um, if it wasn't for the podcast and me getting a level of comfort um, mm -hmm. in this space. Um, the books, well... I will say this. So I can't say this without a smile on my face because that's it's genuine. It's not, not like I'm intentionally smiling. 
So Bill Thomas, Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for my last book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve. And um, I don't know, um, I don't know if he knew about the other two books. He must have, he must have. Uh, people told me that he doesn't do that kind of thing. I couldn't get him to do that kind of thing. He doesn't really do that. And um, obviously I had had him on the podcast before that. We had had two conversations. Uh, so something about what I said or those interactions resonated with him. And he, you know, responded to an email and said, I'd love to write the forward. So that has meant a lot to me. And I think people have recognized that. And so I think when you write and you start to garner attention from people in whatever space you're in, that that obviously helps, you know, elevate your own, your own voice and gives you more credibility. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm working on another book. And then I have this chapter in this vision book. And I can't that's supposed to come out in April, I think. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. I well, I love obviously hosting my podcast has allowed me to connect with with people that I would have I would have never met. And now people are asking to be on the show and including the person who wrote the forward for my book. Um, and so I definitely understand that I was able to make the connection and and I'd asked somebody else and they were just him and hot. And I finally woke up and said, you know what? If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And so I right. want to ask the person that's going to be a hell yes. And, right, right. And and it turns out it's a much better fit for the book. And the forward he wrote brought tears to my wife's eye. And so it, it's just been fantastic. So it's <laughs> funny great. that you say that because I asked somebody else first also. And they said they were busy and, you know, they are a very busy person and they sure. do have a voice in this space too. Don't get me wrong. And I like this person very much. And, um, and, uh, but he said he'd try his best. I said, okay. Oh no. I had emailed Bill Thomas first. That's not true. I'm sorry. I, I emailed him a few times. I didn't get an answer. I was like, okay, whatever. So I asked this other person and he said he'd do his best or whatever. And then uh, Bill Thomas finally answered and said he'd do it. And I went back to the um, the other gentleman. He was thrilled <laughs> that he was kind of off the hook. But he said to me that he'd write me a, a very publishable testimonial, which he did. It was really quite beautiful. But um, it's funny that you say that about the foreword, because when I read Bill Thomas's foreword, it brought tears to my eyes. And I read it. I must have read it 50 times by now. And every once in a while, I pick it up and read it again. And um, it, it's like fuel to my soul. It's it's so you can relate to that, right? It's really, absolutely. Yes. It's really Ab something. When you absolutely. get somebody like that and that you respect and admire and and you feel now you have a connection with them. Um, it's really terrific. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and even getting the endorsements, right? Uh, you know, you've put the book out there and. And, and at first it's family and friends. And of course they all, you know, right. oh, it's wonderful if they even read more than the cover and the picture. <laughs> you know, but when somebody, you know, somebody's read the book and, and then they send you these, these notes talking about how incredible things are. And you're like, I, I, for me, it's been surreal. It's, it's like, wow, like I am blown away. And, and then I have to correct myself and say, no, I wrote this. It's right. good. I, I'm going to own it. And thank right. you for 
for seeing the good in me. And <laughs> oh, by the way, what is the name there. of your book? So my book is The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift. Cool. Growth Characteristics of Success. And so, yeah, we're uh, we're taking pre-orders now. We've ordered the first 200, so they're on their way. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. And, I absolutely love it. And December 25th, I didn't have a book. I started writing December 27th. Right. And so we went from, we wrote the book in six days, obviously worked on it after that. Uh, contacted our friend, mutual friend that introduced us, and and it's published in 39 days from the time I started. Really, really awesome. So it's interesting because, you know, I have this other book that I said I was going to, I was hoping to get out by the end of January, which was really an unrealistic thought. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. You said you wrote it in how long? Um, 39 days? Oh, no, seven Oh, seven, oh, seven days. Sorry. Well, yeah. way ahead of me. But, I wrote it between Christmas and New Year's. Basically, my calendar was empty. So I said, all right, I'm going to do 6,000 words a day for that week between Christmas and New Year's. So the, so, so that's cool. So um, the three books that I've written, I've written in, a, I would say, maybe in two two months, maybe. Two that's good. Months. It was just the first one was quite, a, quite longer. Um, the second and third one were shorter books, but I did it in maybe the third one I did in six weeks. Um, but it's kind of like what you said. I just sat down and did it. This one, I don't have the time to do that in my schedule. So it's, you know, I've written the first chapter and the last chapter and I'm kind of playing around with the, the middle of it. But, um, you know, it's it's certainly possible to do that. I think the the, the important thing is a commitment. You have to choose. Yeah. I'm going to write every day, whether it's whether it's this 30 minute block or this hour block. But I've got a block. If you want to write a book, you've got to have time committed to writing a book. So that's interesting that you say that, because that is what people say you need to do. Now, I never did that because I just devoted this protracted period of time and did it each with each of the three books. Um, I kind of can't write like that. I think I have to learn. Um, because I kind of write from the, it's like, I know it, the tape is running in the background. And then one day I wake up and I go, oh my God, I've got that. And I sit down and I'll write that chapter or the outline for the entire book, which is what happened with this next book. I just, I just had it. Um, if I don't have it that way, it's like, I can't really, it's like a writer's block kind of thing. Sure. So I have to figure out a way to find that bridge. Maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> Maybe, but I just know that if you don't, if you don't commit time, and even that, if that time is thinking time, right? Thinking, brainstorming, you know, just running through the ideas. If you're not committed to to putting it down on paper at some point, it it it's going to stay in your head forever. Right. That's true. That is true. You have to start somewhere, even if you just write notes or phrases or. Um, Right, just stream of consciousness. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct. Just oh no, don't let the editor, don't let the editor in there. Yeah, right. the editor, editor stops progress immediately. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, you you have to be the author and just put it down. Just right, exactly. And, and, and once you turn it loose to an editor, understand when three thousand words disappear <laughs> because because you repeated yourself and you sounded terrible. And they're, helping, <laughs> they're helping you sound better. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think the worst the worst voice in your head when it comes to writing a book is the editor voice, and you just I have think to, so too. You have to tell him he's not welcome to the party yet. 
But it's interesting that you say that. I have trouble with that, even with text messages. I mean, oh. I, have go, I have to go back and I say, wait a minute, that's not correct. It's not grammatically correct. There's a, I didn't put a period there. It's, like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a curse. It, trust me, that is a curse. Well, I, I will say that, that my book is certainly by no means perfect, but the speed to market issue is like we've we've made the choice to go with this speed to market and and put something that's good out there. Can we make it really great? Absolutely, but not this first one. Right. Okay, <laughs> we're, so the second one. We're gonna let the market, we're gonna let the market help us get this one. Uh, and that, uh, that's cool. And 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 then there'll be another one. Um, who was it that told me? It's somebody I know that he um he wrote his first book. He decided to write a book. And every uh, morning he woke up an hour early. I think it was four in the morning, whatever it was. And he wrote for an hour. That was what he did. Then after he finished the first book, he said, gee, I could do this over and over and over again. I forgot how many books he's written now, but it's quite a quite a number. And because he uses the same formula, he just gets up every day. And That's he, fantastic. Isn't yeah. that great? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's absolutely possible. Um, but it it won't happen without the effort. Right. It won't right. happen without the work. You you, you have to you have to put in the work. Um, and but I encourage you, it's worth it because so many things have happened because I wrote the book and now meeting people because I'm just networking with authors and publishing and and all of those things. Um, it's it's crazy. Like it's a whole new world that just like the podcast world, the author right. world is, is a, this whole new world. And and now my book can impact people that have never watched me online, have never listened to a podcast, have never right. you know, taken the time. And so it's an impact expander for sure. Yes, yeah, so I think people, um, they take you more seriously when you, you have a book. Um, you know, they realize that it does take effort. I mean, I had people uh, call me and congratulate me telling me they knew how much effort it took to write a book that people had been asking them to write books for years and they just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, it it's a process and it doesn't matter how long the book is. It could be a short book. doesn't matter. It still takes that, that, um, that dedication, that stick-to-itiveness. And it, it does help you organize your ideas and your, right? Your mind. Absolutely. Like, well, and the great thing about being in that process is like, so, I outlined eight chapters. The book has 11, you know, my brain, you know, in the middle of the night said, Oh, you're missing all of this stuff. Right, exactly. You've got to jam another chapter in there. Exactly. So it, it, yeah. Once you start writing, then you, you can give up on some sleep because your brain's going to do some stuff and you're going to wake up going, Oh, I got to write that down. So I don't forget. And, I have to write stuff down, otherwise I'd forget. No, I do that no matter, too. No matter how good it is. Right. Listen, I, I'm driving in the car. I have a little pad next to me so that if I think of something, I, I I I write it down because it has happened to me where I was thinking of something before I went to sleep. And then I wake up, I say, oh, my God, what the heck was that? I forgot all about it. And then, you know, thinking, 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 and I might you know, the next day, wake up at two o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I have it. And I grab, you know, a piece of paper and write it down. I mean, that that is an important part of the writing process. And like I said, I think that tape is running in the back of your head all the time. You know, we have how many? 60,000 thoughts, on. Day, right? And, and uh, a, a large number of them are negative thoughts. That goes back to what we were saying about mindset. How are you going to shift those thoughts so that that tape running are productive and positive thoughts, mm -hmm. right? 
And so the only way you could do that is concentrating on positive things, positive projects, passions, whatever it is, the direction you want to move so that you can change that tape in your head. Oh, absolutely. So valuable. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciated the conversation. Oh, this was great fun. I, and I love, I love your dream. I can't wait to see the movie. I can't. I and I'll invite you to the uh, to the uh, Academy Awards. How's that? <laughs> Sounds like a great opportunity. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Kate Hudson teaches me about somatic experiencing and how this powerful therapy reconnects the body and mind and allows the person to really experience their body and listen to what it is saying. We explore the power of curiosity as a tool for understanding the body and for understanding our emotional responses. Kate shares some wonderful tools and practices for helping truly experience life and live mindfully in the present.